0: Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Blumgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Andrew, back with our next guest. Uh, Go ahead and introduce him.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited for this next guest. He's someone that I I know we're hopefully going to have on a full episode at some point, Uh, someone I've I've, uh, known of for a while, uh, Dr. Sean Castile from Purdue University. Sean, uh, thanks for being with us.
2: Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. As we get started, uh, Dr. Castile, would you just kind of briefly
0: introduce yourself and uh, uh, tell us about your work at Purdue?
2: So... First and foremost, I'm a farm boy from Illinois. So I grew up in corn, soybeans, on um, prairie soil, flat blacks. And so I, I've had a heart in farming my whole life. I'm the extension soybean agronomist here at Purdue. So I've been in the Midwest uh, since, back in the Midwest since 2009. And so doing a lot of work within the soybean management and interactions. Uh, so that's from varieties. Uh, I have a pretty strong nutrient bent. And so a lot of the interactions that go with nutrients, as well as you know, in recent years, whether it's cover crops or whether it's seed treatments or biologicals. So we hit anything and everything that's practical and that has application for the growers. I love
1: it. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, that, that alone, all that information, I feel like that's a good episode right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: that's my my passion for a long time has really been understanding, uh, you know, seed treatment the biological space. So maybe we can chat about that <laughs> offline. But the purpose of today, uh, kind of a year in review. So so uh, Dr. Castile, really kind of looking for two things. Maybe tell us about the growing season, uh, what conditions were like, and, and maybe some of the things you learned this season.
2: Yeah, so based out of Indiana... Uh, we started off on um, the fastest pace of planting we've we ever had. And so uh, I've, I've gone back in, in the early part of the summer. It was going to go one of two ways. Uh, we've had six years that were of similar nature in terms of their planting progress. That would have been in 1988 and 1991 and 2012. Um, and some of those years should resonate with, uh, at least one of those years should resonate with most people of being a drought. Right. Uh-huh. And then the other years that are the same pace it was going to be like a 2018 a 2020 uh, and 2021. And what those all had in common were record breaking years. And so we had the opportunity to be as low as we could with the drought or as high as we could with uh, high yields and, and in fact, state records. And so that's where we started. I had a great opportunity to get out a lot of fields in April, uh, in the first couple of weeks of May. So that's a, a nice spot for us to be. And then we got into the season and it turned off dry. And so that, that month of June was just nasty. Um, really no rain in a lot of areas. And so kind of wondering if we were going to go down that drought uh, path. And so, you know, what we do to the cure a drought is start talking about it.
1: <laughs> there you go. Plan, plan some sort of outdoor meeting or just start yeah. talking about it, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I, Wash I, the I, truck, all, all those yeah. things you need to do, do a rain dance. But for us, what ended up happening, it was dry, but what was really good is that those earlier plantings, those timely plantings across Indiana and get in Illinois and some of the other states, they got a good stand establishment. And so that was huge, right? We got a root system that's there. It's established. If they were late May plantings, the soil moisture conditions were already kind of going off the deep end. And so stand establishment wasn't good. So for the most part, when they turned off dry in June, they were just sitting there. What looked like the, the soybeans themselves, they weren't doing much, but they were doing plenty down below. And that's what grandpa always told me. I'd rather have a dry June than a dry August. And that's that's what we had this year. And so we got a nice deep-rooted plant, planted earlier, and then not a much uh, above ground growth. So for soybeans, that's a really a good scenario. I, I don't like having soybeans up to my chest. I mean, it's yeah. kind of fun every now and then, but I know those aren't going to be my high-yielding years. And what we did this year was have a nice compact plant the timely plantings and dry conditions early. So speak, speak if
0: you would. And, and obviously, you know, today's timeline will be a little bit condensed, but your view on uh, early planted soybeans, uh, that's obviously a big topic of conversation right now.
2: Yeah. So the thing is that I grew up in the Midwest, you know, it was soybeans just get planted whenever corn gets done. Right? <laughs> yep, that, yep. that mentality <laughs> exactly. has definitely changed. Yep. Uh, the, that, that mentality has had to change because soybeans have been the money makers. They're the ones that you realize how much of a gain you really get with what I'll call timely plantings. I'm not I'm not one to say I have to go out there in, in March because it's 80 degrees. We have to have <laughs> some of those days. And I've seen plenty of videos, of TikTok or on Twitter, X, what have you that, oh, I planted because I could. Well, yeah, you can replant because you could too. Right. And so there can be a little bit too early of that, but I think timely planting in a general sense for the high states, the Midwest, you know, that's going to be a, a mid to late April, depending on the field conditions and really roll with that. And what we do with that, again, this is a whole episode on its own right, just planning date, yeah. is that we trick these indeterminate soybeans into having more nodal development, having more reproductive branches because they're stacked. Those early growth stages are very slow. So then the internodes are stacked. And so we have more reproductive branches. So no, that's that's the first and foremost place to start when you look at field um Field management of soybeans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned you, you had kind of a dry, dry conditions. You know, somewhat like most of the Corn Belt, right? You know, in Iowa, Illinois, we were extremely dry in the spring, which impacted depending on that planting date, whether it was early, early or late. You know, that kind of impacted germina- you know, just imbibation and germ- germination, that whole process. You know, you know, I, I think Iowa specifically, you know, our rain shut off at the very end of April, beginning of May. So those yep. planting dates are some of the worst planting dates that we saw because that's when the water shut off. Did you guys start getting rain there in August, That you know, towards the tail end of vegetative growth? In, in yeah, the reproductive so what, stages?
2: what helped us? So we, again, were fortunate enough to get a good stand established with our late April, early Mays. June turned off dry. Uh, July, um, early to mid-July, we actually had the faucet turn back on. And so we had some of that come back. And so we get some good growth. What was interesting during the middle part of the season is that our reproduction, our flowering just continued to be delayed. And I think a lot of that came into the stress. We were having V8, V9 soybeans. So eight, nine trifoliate leafed plants that hadn't flowered yet. And so I think a lot of that came into their stress. They just didn't have it. And then water came back and then there's that flush of flowers. And so at that point, vegetative growth is continuing, right? We got flowers and pod production and it just continued to rain fairly well through most of the state in July into August. And then, um, Middle part of August has started to have some issues. Actually, we had some issues having too much water, that we had too much water in such a way that we were saturating the root zone. And then we're having nitrogen deficiencies because we had limited respiration of the roots. We had limited nodulation and fixation. So I was actually concerned for a while that we had too much in a short amount of time. And then it dried out. And um, September, I kept saying, you know, we could use a little bit. We didn't get it. But still, we had some amazing yields this year.
1: Yeah. That, that's kind of why I asked that question. You know, I, we've had this conversation and I figure while we have the soybean expert on, we get his take. But I feel like, you know, how, how many, I'm sure your grandpa said this, August rains make yep. soybean yields, right? Yep. And, and I feel yep. like we've had extremely good soybean yields here in Iowa. And from what I've heard across much of the Corn Belt... And and I feel like a lot of those areas haven't had those August rains, and yet we're still seeing yields that we're not used to in soybean production.
0: I'm convinced my entire childhood was a lie <laughs> after the last couple of years because it just there's just stuff that makes no sense around here. Yeah. We we had you know in in central Iowa we had one five to one eight maturity beans, which which I, I don't even it doesn't even really make sense to use those along the you know I thirty I eighty corridor that were completely mature in the middle of august it hadn't rained in three to four yeah, three to four <laughs> weeks and you know beans they, not i I don't know that they were necessarily records but I mean you know whole fields just making numbers that made your jaw drop it was yeah. really confusing but the comment you made earlier about what's happening underneath is a really interesting concept because I think we we fixate on vegetative yeah. material and how soybeans yeah. look driving down the road and less about really what's going on and how hard they're searching for for moisture and nutrients so that's a yeah interesting.
2: I, I go back to like a year like 2012 a drought year and i had a infrared thermal uh gun right you just go to menards whatever buy it and use it for what every application including what the soil temperature is at the surface and and the leaf temp, the temperature of a soybean plant and the beauty of that taproot right in the drought year we had 135 degree soil temperature and had it in a corner that didn't have some areas of the state have irrigation didn't have any irrigation the the leaf itself uh was still like 86 degrees because wow. it had access it had access to moisture down below and so this year now we've got nice deep rat, uh, roots we've got those that are going to have access to water we got more water that came back in July and August but certainly i think that helped us even finish out a little bit in September. So Grandpa talked about the August rain, but these beans in our production overall, unless we're going for that short season variety of the old market price, it's really the late August, early September that that makes or breaks our soybeans. Yeah, Yeah. So (laughs) we're going to get trapped into turning this into a full
0: episode. So for the sake of for the sake of being true to what we're trying to accomplish on this podcast, I, I I would say give us um give us maybe uh one or two things that you feel like uh either either you learned that you were unaware of or, or maybe affirmed things that you that you had previously thought.
2: Yeah, we've, we've hit one already, so I don't want to belabor it in a, a shortened segment, but timely planting, that stand establishment is critical for yep. soybeans. It, it makes or breaks it, and it sets that potential, and so that really has done us well. You know, we love to say that we had had everything to do to bring Mother Nature back, but we didn't, right? That's, yep. that's just the luck, but in that, boy, these beans can just do phenomenal things, and so yeah. we're talking, if I recall, the we're at 61 bushels at a state level and I think that's record for the country. So the highest rest for, for Indiana all all, all time, as well as 61 bushel for the country this year. And we've got fields that are running mid-80s, mid-90s. And I've got trials that I had 100 bushel beans. And so it's just phenomenal yeah. dry yeah. land production. I, lo- I, I love that call of that- out
1: of timely establishment because how often do we have, whether we're using a drill or we're just using an old Kinsey planter with split rows. Yep. And we have some soybeans landed on the soil surface, but as long as 60, 75% of them get in the ground, soybeans will compensate, right? How often do you hear that that conversation? Yeah. So soybeans will compensate. But in all reality, if we start managing these soybeans, like we do half as much as corn, how, what, what's the yield impact, right? So I, yeah. I think that's something that we need to think about as we continue to push these yields.
0: Well, and I really appreciate the idea of timely planting because I, I think... It feels like we're caught a little bit in this in this tension of the paradigm, right? So you mentioned plant your corn, then go plant your beans. And so, you know, through our learnings and the podcast and everything, this idea of early planting soybeans and and we talk about it as early planting is the terminology we've been using. So I really like that idea. And I can tell there's intentionality in the terminology timely planting. And and I think that's I think it's wise. And for me, I think that's a better way to speak to growers because the the goal is not to plant them early. It's to recognize the importance of timely establishment and how that can impact yield. So re- yeah, really if, good there. If you there. look
2: at the two crops, right, just a corn-soybean world, and I razz the corn guys every chance I get. So um, <laughs> in that, I mean, it's a diva. It's got to have a perfect <laughs> environment in terms of getting stand-establishment. Now, I don't want soybeans to put out, be put out in 40-degree soil temps and have SDS and every other seedling disease come in, but of the two crops, Soybeans are going to get more of a benefit out of earlier planting than corn. Yep. Corn wants nice, uniform soil temperature, get uniform emergence. I would prefer to have that on soybeans. I don't have to have it because yeah. I gain enough if I've got a good stand establishment earlier tricking the system before a photo period pushes us into, re- into the reproductive growth that we benefit out of two or three nodes plus reproductive branches. So, yeah, timely planting is a key part of this for soybeans. Okay. So we interrupted you. That was number one. Did you have a number two? (laughs) Number two, it it goes back to, I mean, what I'm doing today is just you've got to have a strong fertility situation, right? You've got to have that there in abundance uh, and above critical levels. So if you're marching on those critical levels, we saw that in June that we had fields that were, quote, above critical levels of potassium, but they're marginal and uh, the potassium deficiencies were showing up left and right. And again, it's just knowing, you know, how does potassium move through the plant? It's moving yep. through the plant, through the soil, through mass flow. You don't have yep. water, yep. you can't take it up. And so, you know, we we're cut short in some fields in that regard. So make sure that we're doing all that we can to have fertility levels above that critical level. So then when we get marginal water conditions, we don't really get sold short. Um, the other part of it is I really go with, you know, the fertility side in terms of good nodulation good fixation. So understanding what you've got to maximize that. If it's a no-till condition, if it's cover crop, um, we had some areas this year uh, that really got, took it on the chin because it didn't get a good stand establishment in terms of its root system. And then that had an effect on nodulation. And so if we're sold short on nodulation, we're sold short on yield. I love it. Really, Absolutely. really good. So, this podcast the goal of the
0: agronomy edition is to talk about what we learned and then and then kind of transfer that into what do we take into next year or so um you know thinking about you're, you're part of the world, but listeners across, uh, we'll say the soybean belt. Um, I appreciate the (laughs) new term.
2: (laughs) What, uh, what, uh, you and Conley,
1: he'll, he'll appreciate that as well. Yeah, man. I, there's some
0: some powerhouses in the, in the soybean world, but, um, I guess as, as we're doing our, our, our planning, whether it's fertility, um, you know, uh, product selection, et cetera, give, give our listeners a couple, uh, keep, Key planning advices for 2024.
2: Yeah. So as you're looking at 24, obviously get the fertility where it needs to be. If you haven't done that already, I mean we're we're kind of the short rows of that. But hopefully we, we've done our job in that way. Um, variety selection is always key, right? You got to have yield potential and understand what you have. If you're a white mold area, make sure you got varieties that can handle that. Uh, we do have good seed treatments out there. So then as we talk about these timely plantings, a lot of times they're gonna be cooler soils than we're used to. I'd say Maybe half, the, half our soybean growers are going to say, well, that's just normal planting. The other half, it's still early planting like you're talking about. So they need to maintain the idea, okay, if I'm going to be planting that period, those kind of field conditions, or if it's no-till, it's going to tend to be cooler, it's wetter, better have your seed treatment on that that's going to handle that fungicide in particular is what I'm talking about. So those are the ones I really want to key in on. Um, and then... Most of us have enough precision technology. We've had some strips across the field last year. Take the time to learn from those, right, and and learn what was working and what wasn't. If you didn't do any trials, you've got a yield map, go back to that yield map and say, okay, what was bad about this field? What was good? And see if you can glean anything as you move into the 24 season.
1: Yeah, excellent advice. Uh, Sean, definitely appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to uh, working with you again on a future podcast. Love it.
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. Andrew, we are back, and we're ready to talk about 2023. Uh, Tell our listeners about our next guest,
1: please. Yeah, we're lucky enough to have, uh, representing the great state of Kentucky, uh, Dr. Chad Lee. Uh, Chad, thank you very much for being with us.
3: Hey, a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's start with, uh, you know, giving just a quick background on you and, and then what your role is at Kentucky.
3: Sure. So uh, the the short, very short version is I'm an extension professor and agronomist at the University of Kentucky. I work on corn, soybean, and small grains, and um, I'm also director of our grain and forage center of excellence, uh, which the nucleus of that is based at Princeton, a couple hundred miles west of our main campus mm-hmm. in the Bluegrass in Lexington, and uh, uh, I'm still based in Lexington, and so I do a lot of travel back and forth, and and frankly do as much advocating on main campus for the folks at Princeton as I do uh, around the state as well so uh, phenomenal phenomenal group of people in Kentucky we've got really good producers we're obviously we're a much smaller state uh, acreage wise and such but we've got producers that that really understand some of their challenges and um, they and their crop consultants are willing to to work with us and talk to us and and uh, hopefully together we hope work out some some challenges
1: yeah well we've definitely had some challenging environmental conditions last year to to say the least uh what what are some of the things you noticed in 2023 you know you're far enough east probably from from iowa and and, you know you you probably have some differences in in what you saw in 2023 so uh fill us in What, what were what were some of the things you saw in 2023
3: you bet, sure. So, in our location, and put it in perspective with Iowa, our soils are probably a third as deep as what yours are at best. Uh, we have more. We have a lot of slope in our fields. You, you'd certainly do too in Iowa. Um, but our our buffer against dry weather is a much smaller buffer than what you deal with. Year in and year out. In addition, on average, you get about an extra inch of rain during your growing season than we do. We get more total rain throughout the year, but when we really need it the most, we're 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 working behind uh, that as well. So all of that to be said, this has probably been the most frustrating year for excellent yields that we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is, is we were constantly on the verge of being too dry. Yeah. In fact, if you look at our rainfall totals for the year, we're under. In parts of the state, we're 10 inches under um, as at the time of this recording for the year. So we're well under our, our yearly averages, but we got some rainfall events that took place right when we needed them to hold our crops on and to carry us through. And part of that, what that worked out to is we had phenomenal wheat yields and phenomenal wheat quality. We went about 88 bushels on soft red winter wheat um, in our area. And all of that wheat gets followed immediately with double crop beans. And then the next year we go into corn in those Hmm. fields. Um, Makes it a bit bit challenging so uh, a farmer will tell you how many acres they're farming <laughs> and you have to double check is that literal land acres or is that acres covered in a year right so um, just for you know for easy math if a farm is 10,000 acres of land and it's about 15,000 acres that they've covered and harvested that that year. Because of the wheat double crop beans in their system. Oh, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? That that does. So,
1: and I, I mean, yeah. yeah.
3: Thinking about that,
1: we obviously don't. We're we're pretty corn and soy focused. I mean, you guys right. got tobacco and all kinds of stuff out there,
3: right? Uh, That's right. You know, yeah. It, yeah. Well, we have a lot less tobacco than we used to. Yeah. But uh, there's still a little bit. <laughs> still, do a little shrinking bit. shrinking quite a bit. Right? That, back on what our farmers <laughs> yeah. are doing now. <laughs> best, so, about, best place uh, in the world to be about an thirty to forty percent of our acres involved wheat, double crop beans, okay. and corn. So, three crops in two years. And so, yeah. we had phenomenal wheat because of the weather that we dealt we dealt with this year. The dry weather actually worked out very well for the wheat so that we had low scab issues. And then our corn yields, we're probably looking at 183 bushels right now, according to USDA NAS. And we're looking at about uh, 55 on soybeans. Again, keep that in mind, that 55 includes about 40% of those acres being double crops. So, that yeah. means... Those beans didn't get planted to June 15th mm-hmm. to July 1, somewhere mm-hmm. in
1: there. Chad, you bring up a really good point. You know, you, you mentioned um, you guys were, you know, a, a moment in time away from not much of a crop. And I yeah. feel like that's been this the story of much of the Corn Belt, especially Iowa, the last two to three years. I mean, we've been two weeks away from not much of a crop at all. So, you know, a, as we experience those situations, is, is there anything that, that starts to show itself? You know, we have these conversations about what can we do to make... The next growing season, better. What can we learn? And oftentimes, we have these, we'll say, drought case, drought scenarios where it exposes a lot of our flaws in our farming practices or, or management practices. Is there anything in Kentucky, whether it's corn, soybean, wheat, um, you know, that that maybe this drought has exposed some some lack of man- or just some
3: management practices that we need to rethink? Excellent, excellent question. And usually, when you get into dry weather, you find out real quickly. Where you've caused sidewall compaction, where you we're dealing with some surface compaction as well. Um, those things usually tend to jump out at you. Now, in our case, we also find out where our really shallow soils are, and so oh, yeah. you know the average you know average rooting depth for us is only about three feet across the state. It's again we're we're dealing with shallow soils um, as you go across the elevations and slopes. That depth changes dramatically, and so you'll pick up those <laughs> low spots. But you also pick up. Uh, did you get into an area of the field that was a little too wet when you planted, and caused some? Usually, we deal more with sidewall compaction than necessarily uh, subsurface because we tend to be more no-till. Yep. Um, the you know the other thing we've dealt with the last three four years is we have had wetter springs, which makes us at higher risk. For some sidewall compaction to take place, but it also has put us under pressure from slugs, um, little animals called voles, <laughs> similar to similar to a field mouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, again, when you're dealing with um, higher residues that we're leaving on our surfaces, um, those are some issues that we we've dealt with from time to time. If I go back 10, 15 years ago, we, we always have somewhere in the state where we have an issue with slugs coming in. And it's just a timing residue um, issue where you got crops that are V1, V2 in stage. You have cloudy weather. Yeah. Makes the crop sit still. It also makes the slugs come out during the daytime and be more active and feed more. And so it's a perfect storm for slugs. And that's yeah. that happens somewhere in the state every year. That's awesome. The last three or four I'm, years. No, I, was go ahead.
1: Say, I was gonna say I'm I'm super glad you brought that up because I I'm just starting to hear about some slug issues in parts of Iowa, and and, and you guys it sounds like pretty yeah. consistently somewhat depending on the weather deal with that. Is there anything that we can do? And I, that's why I like these you know yeah. getting different perspectives. That's we either have an issue here that As we're if helped. we
0: don't have enough going on. Now we've got to deal with the slugs. Yeah, yeah. Now so,
3: you have to deal with slugs too. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. And is, that's, is there anything you can do? What what can growers do to potentially offset slug feeding or damage? You bet. Um, there are there is a commercial bait now that has some activity against the slugs, and um, we've had some farmers use it. We we actually had to use it this year ourselves, and we um, and we've seen some some success with that. Um, the, uh, other thing is, is you try to reduce the residue and that, that gets mm-hmm. tricky because again, we're, we're high volume, no-till, low-till state, you know, no-till. We had the first commercial field in 1962 of true no-till. Um, and so we've been doing no-till for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you, we get really nervous. I get nervous talking about doing a lot to reduce residue, Um, but slugs are one of those things for farmers (laughs) that still love to use a moldboard plow. It's going to be one of the issues they point to as, ha, I told you that, that no-till, low-till would never work. Right. (laughs) Um, and so that's, that's always going to be an issue that way. So we're doing a lot, a lot of work with cover crops now too. And I think one thing we're finding out on the cover crops and, (laughs) One thing we're finding out, and one thing a handful of farmers have said, "I told you so," is that we've got to terminate these things early. Um, yep. I don't. We don't need our cover crops to compete with our regular cash crop, from a nutrient standpoint, and also from this issue of harboring um, pests like slugs. Yeah. Um, anecdotally, we've had a handful of farmers say, "Well, if they use some some uh, liquid nitrogen as part of their carrier in their burn down." That they tend to have less slug issues. The theory there is whether you use that or you're using muriate, potash. Um, the salts in those fertilizers, yeah. the slugs don't handle the salts. And so if you can get direct contact, you can reduce some of their activity that way. And that's true, or you can yeah. at least slow them down a little bit. Um, but that's also really, really hard to, to do consistently over time.
1: Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's something for us. I mean, to potentially think about, because on on top of the residue conversation, you know, that's something that's really impacting Iowa growers here recently with with our yields increasing. We're having a lot of residue. I mean, the residue difference, you know, the har- harvest index, yeah. looking at biomass between 220 bushel corn that we were used to five to seven years ago. Now we have a lot of 250, 275 bushel farm averages. So the amount of residue mm-hmm. it's really impacting a lot of different things, whether it's planting, you know, planting depth, uh, singulation, all, all that stuff that matters. So I, I'm wondering if maybe if we have this slug situation continue <laughs> to increase, you know, there's talk about doing something with our residue, whether it's removing residue, not not tillage necessarily, which uh, again, like you said, that's that's a fine line to walk, right? But can mm-hmm. potentially remove some residue or spray some a product like 32% on in the fall or some other biological that maybe helps break that residue down quicker so that the next year... You know, maybe that's something to think about if we continuously yeah. uh, hear about these slugs in Iowa. Yeah,
3: I wouldn't. We're getting into some slug biology that I. Yeah, I need to go double check myself. My, but you you're me both. You're really trying to target them in the spring, right around when you plant. Yep. And so, um, you know, you might do something in the fall to break down some residue. I would, I would argue at least in our scenario, we want as much residue as possible to get us through the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we're doing cover crops after soybean. We just soybeans do not have enough residue. They don't stick around long enough to hold soils in place for us. And so that's where cover crops fit really well for us is when we get done harvesting soybeans to put the, put the cover crop in. And from that perspective, I really like our small grain cover crops. So wheat, barley, and rye because they hold soil in place. And to me, that's still the number one, thing we want to do with the cover crop is hold soil in place. Yep. And then we can talk about mixing other species and where we get in, on some C N ratios and things like that, but but number one is to hold the soil in place. If we're not doing that, then we're not for us that that we got to do that or we do, there's no need to have yeah. a cover crop out there because there are headaches with it as well. And so back on your question, um you know, I'll, I'll give a scenario of a farmer that just had it in the worst way, so he dealt with slugs two years in a row. He he had to replant both years, and so he said, "That's it." And so he went in and did some tillage um, on some sloping soils. And this year had a heavy rain event that that washed down to the root or down to the seed on his corn. So Whoa, basically, a wow. two inch depth, and yeah. basically washed the corn right out of the soil. Essentially, so you're talking not only did it wash it out, but you're dealing with the erosion. Yeah, that's you know, one and a half, two inches of erosion in the in the row that's a phenomenal amount of soil that just left the field oh man yeah that's years of organic i mean yeah that's going to take years it's it's years of structure organic matter and and in our case it's soil that we can't afford to lose um in our scenario so you're fighting it that way as well the you know the best thing that can happen and i just heard somebody else make this talk today at the the conference i'm at is that uh you would plant the corn or the soybeans and um you have some sunny weather for the next two weeks to really get them up, get them started. And if you can just get through about the two week period and they get to about V3, either one on you, then they're big enough that some slug feeding will happen, but it's not an issue. It's just when that, that crop is small and it's cloudy and it just sits there. And it's just a, it's literally is a sitting duck for those slugs at that point, that's what you're fighting against. So we are recommending the baits. This has been a longer conversation than I meant. We are recommending the baits to use. And then, you know, we can't officially say that uh, because we don't have the data that tells us <laughs> about the, the UAN as a carrier. Um, but there's enough farmers that have done that and been successful with it from their perspective that I'm not opposed to to that being an option in the tank oh.
0: one, one of the things that's fun about doing the this end of year review that we've this is our second year that we've done this is you just have no idea where you're going to end up right i mean in, in terms of what, right. what people are doing in, in different different climates so uh, i will bring us out of the slug conversation um
3: <laughs> thank you <laughs> and and uh
0: and, and chad i guess just kind of as as we wrap up our time together you know uh so thinking about a year in review, but, but then really just kind of saying, okay, as we go into 2024, um, obviously the, the, the drought index is still real, right? I mean, that's a real concern for, for growers that you support. Um, mm-hmm. so, so obviously conscientiousness around, around the drought concerns, but what other, um, I guess key planning elements would you tell growers to think about as they're putting together their cropping plan for next year?
3: It's a, it's a great question. I think Again, I'm the agronomist, so my job is to look at crop growth and development and yep. some of those other aspects to it. But in you know, the last few years, I, I'll, I'll say this, on fungicides, um, the fields I've walked and, and the farms I've been involved with uh, targeting a fungicide at R1 for us has been too early. No, yeah. We've had, we've had our gray leaf spot primarily. It's the main one we deal with and some others. They've we, come in we later. That.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: we've, okay. been, we've been pushing people okay. like crazy. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great. You know, we, we've been so used to this tassel yeah. application that, yeah. that we, yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, I need to have another conversation with our, with our, with Kirsten, our plant pathologist on that topic. But I really think, um, you know, farmers love the calendar idea. The salespeople love a calendar idea. Yep. And so, okay, if we're if we're going to push a calendar idea, I would probably push R three instead of R one for us because I think that's timing wise is that's when we're we're seeing this take place. Now we do that, and then this next year everything will come in at yeah. R two. And You'll there, have a bunch yeah. of
1: rain around tassel, just be wet. And that's even. right. Yeah. That's
3: right. Um. <laughs> in a, in a perfect world you would do some scouting and when the disease is just starting to show up or it's showing up close by, that's when you would target that application and you greatly, greatly improve your, your chances of making money with the application. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so such a that,
0: great, such a great call out because I think we, we've gotten in, in, you know, kind of the I-80 corridor. We've, we've uh i don't necessarily you know think we need to take cheap shots at salespeople, but we've gotten a little used to just our, our our uh our tassel application you know and so we're we're pushing people like crazy we've got to think about you know scouting and timing application we're dealing you know more with tar spot but kind of the same thing mm-hmm. we can't we don't want to shoot our shot too early we certainly don't want to be late but burning out efficacy is a bad bad idea
3: yeah 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 i, I agree with that and and it would be it, you know, in a perfect world, you're, you're ultimately trying to control a disease and you're trying to put it on before the disease is there at a threat level. So you're usually looking at whether looking at where the disease is currently and you're, you're trying to be preventative with those applications. And so it, that means there's going to be times you apply it and the disease won't show up, but I do think R3 hits a lot better sweet spot for us. Yeah. Um, I, again, I need to double check that with our pathologist to see if she sees <laughs> the same data. Yeah. Um, but that's just my observations, walking fields. I, I think from that and everything else you're asking about, what else do you do? It's, um, you know, the farmers that are, are ready to go, that they're, they're timely they're They've got everything, um, set up. And so when it's time to get something done, they're able to get it done on a timely basis. They just see that year in and year out that that's just so important. And, um, we didn't even chase this at all, but I don't know that planting date is nearly as important as the weather. Um, yeah, that's when, a great if you can plan into, if you can plant into good conditions or, you know, a favorable forecast, again, these are perfect world situations. That's yep. so much more important than trying to hit a specific date. You know, we, well, we had back on slugs and such. We <laughs> had one of my, one of my students studies this year had to be a complete replant because of, of slugs. And then, wow. um, uh, some, another, uh, well, birds that came into some small plots and, finished up what was left.
1: That's a great call out. I mean, we're, we're in that same situation. We have, we're have we continuously pushing that planting date here in Iowa. And, and I feel like across the Corn Belt, you know, early April. And, you know, yeah. sometimes it's, it's better. You know, I, I think historically we've talked about the first 24 to 48 hours because of imbibitional chilling, right? You don't want that cold Correct. weather. But realistically, when you start looking at the the impact, I, I feel like the next week to 10 days is more of a telling story. After you plant that seed, you want even imbibition, right? So that you have even emergence. But I, I think that mm-hmm. next seven to ten days is is very important versus the first twenty four to forty eight
3: hours. Yeah, I think that's fair. And in our studies, where we've gotten over three hundred bushels, um, almost all of those studies, we've had a good start to the crop. Yep. Yeah. And um, uh, and then there's there's some years there's some years when you do this type of research, you try to get a bad start. And you know the weather can change and ends up playing out well for you. So I recognize when farmers are ready to go and they've got acres to cover, they're going to get them covered. Yeah, yep. Um, and and you know all the attachments and such on planters can help with some of that uh, down pressure adjustment. I think is a, a, a been a game changer for us in that area. But um, yeah. Well, yeah, I think I know those, from, those from are one things agronom- I would go with. Yeah. <laughs>
1: from one agronomist to the other, I know we're always the ones saying, hold off planting. It's going to be cold or we got to have a cold rain in the next 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. And I'm always ra- reminded by my good friend, I think it was like 2014 or something, we were planting, like it was early April, we were planting and it started to snow. <laughs> we we knew snow was yeah. coming and I was like, hold off. And then looking back on that planting date that year, that was his best yielding corn. Yep. And so ever yep. since then, I've learned to, you know, you, you got to take a real world, Implications and planning, covering all those acres, but then you, yeah, you got you still got the agronomist in you, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah and, and and I think that's fair, and I think the you know the flip side is is when you do have problems show up in a field, um, it's not always a default the seed's fault, <laughs> yeah. or, uh, or 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 products fault. Sometimes, um, you know, that's that's another challenge is looking at what other events, weather-wise, obviously that that um, could play a role and and cause you to have some less than ideal stands as well yeah um well yeah um, yeah that anyhow that's that's where we are with it we're, we're fortunate that we've had a good year we're fortunate that we've had had a really good crop um we've got all of the all of the top quality corn make good bourbon that we need this year <laughs> so we're in good shape that way and then the rest we can feed the the chickens and Sean's eyes cars. Just
1: lit up yeah
3: so.
0: I'm thinking from you know from the importance of planting to slugs to bourbon <laughs> to we got it all we got it all covered today um, Chad we we appreciate your time it's it's this is a one of Andrew and I talked before we started these recordings, that you know, it's it's so fun to just kind of go around the 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 country and interview different people and really understand that you know there's basic science to row crop production, but it but it uh, results in a lot of different challenges and, and different creativity and way to ma- ways to manage and and so we get to pull out these practical nuggets, but then learn about unique things and so appreciate the work that you're doing and and your perspective and taking time to listen to our growers and certainly wish um, you. guys the best of planning uh this this winter and and hopefully a prosperous year next year but just really appreciate you taking time to be with us today
3: well i appreciate that too it's been a pleasure for me i'm i'm upset at myself i didn't think of this before because this is an awesome idea that what you're doing um and then i'll I'll leave you with this and and this was last year we were up in des moines i had a a grad student that grew up in kentucky from kentucky and we're driving over i wanted him to see the the landscape and on the drive over his question in December was why are all these fields tilled Especially now? So that's a discussion for another day that we can yeah. we can have. But we have but, to do uh,
0: something for fun in the fall. Yeah, we, we call
1: it recreational tillage. We a term we we've, we've learned from a a guest of ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah that's fair. That's a, that's a talk for another day. Um, I've done a handful of talks with uh, in Iowa or or with some farmers in Iowa, and I've always been very hesitant to push no-till very heavily when we get outside of our region because things are just different in other areas and every time i've done it i've had three or four farmers come to me and say well, why weren't you more emphatic on no-till we can make it work in this area yeah you know, we're doing it in this part of iowa and and uh, you need to be more dramatic about it when when, right. you, when you get out of state and, and push it in other areas so i think there's there's conversations <laughs> to be had that way at some point um yeah i don't know you guys well enough yet I, my my counterparts that i do know in iowa I'll, They'll give us, they'll give us a hard time being in Kentucky and in shallow soils. And, you know, we're excited about 180 bushel corn and you guys are just like, eh, whatever. That's, you know, that was 20 years ago. Um, only thing I'll, I asked them as well, our soils, you know, your soils are three times deeper than ours. How come your yields aren't three times yeah. more than ours? There you ours? go. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. That's an ex- but, excellent comeback.
0: Well, we, we should start some sort of like foot of topsoil versus bushel yeah. competition and, and trade go. bourbon or something Ooh. to the winners. We could come up with a, a <laughs> fun you. game to play with the University of Kentucky. So there you go. Yep.
3: All right. Well, Chad, appreciate lot, it. I appreciate Thank it. you very
1: much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny the number 4 your thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for
3: tuning in.